Hi fellow Maris and other listeners, welcome to the final edition of the Maris Association of St Marceline Champagne's podcast for 2023. I'm Tracy DeBlay from the membership team and today I'm presenting a collection of readings from the December edition of our Christ Life publication. To read the full edition, check your email inboxes from last Wednesday the 6th of December or go to the association website marisassociation.org.au and click on the News menu tab. Or scroll down the homepage to the latest news. Our Meet Maris this month is Michael Everson from the Mascot Office in Sydney and we've included the audio of Michael's Meet Maris segment for you to hear. We thank Michael for his years of service for the Marist Association, the last four being um, coordinator of membership, and wish him well for his retirement. This episode, our editorialist is leader of the Marist Association, Brother Peter Carroll. An important notification in this edition is a request for members to please get in touch if you are moving next year, or indeed if you've moved over the past year and haven't let us know. Um, We need to keep our database up to date and we'd like to keep you connected. So please email marist.association at marists.org.au and give me, Tracy, details of a new email address, school, workplace, community or address. Please let us know if you are retiring and if you'll remain in the same local group or not. And if you will be moving, we need to know so we can um, help you find another local group to to join in with. So thanks for doing this. Now, there are some articles that we don't read in this recording, particularly all the great stories on recent local gatherings. We have reports from Forbes, Rosemeadow, Shepparton, Farrowville, Trailgan, Sydney Cinemaris, and from the regional gathering for Inner Sydney West, and lots of photos too. To read them, please find Christ Life on the website or look back for your email last week. Wow, big final edition. So as you know, it's time to grab your cuppa, settle into your seats and let's go. So now we hear the editorial from Brother Peter Carroll, A Time for Gratitude. Dear Maris friends, We have slipped into Advent and await Christmas and the New Year. A good Advent activity is to take some time to look back and reflect on the preceding year. This isn't a PMI-type exercise, helping to set the ubiquitous New Year's resolution. It's more a look back in gratitude. At this time of the year, many people are really under the pump. There's a multitude of work tasks to complete, Christmas to plan, end-of-year celebrations. Naturally, people's nerves become frayed and sometimes there's tensions at work and at home. Sadly, due to these and other pressures, Christmas for some is a time of conflict and division. To look back in gratitude is to review your year and identify the positive experiences you've enjoyed, whether friends, family, colleagues, acquaintances or special events, activities or undertakings. Maybe they are just the ordinary things that we tend to take for granted. Food, home, safety, peace. These are the stuff of our life. They have helped create the environment in which we live. They have helped make us who we are now. Interestingly, in recent years, 
there's been a proliferation of studies into the effects of gratitude on the people who practice it. They are all positive. Even a one-click internet search will lead you to pages that list the following as some benefits. Improves self-esteem. Improves energy and health. Promotes optimism and happiness. Strengthens resilience and increases capacity to deal with adversity. Lowers stress, anxiety and negative thoughts. Enhances capacity to forgive and therefore strengthens relationships. Increases the desire to be generous. Keeps you grounded in the present moment. Of course, gratitude isn't a cure-all. It's not a miracle. Although in some situations or in some people it might seem to be. One-off practices of gratitude won't change much although it can help to balance the ledger if we're feeling stressed or blue. However, to make gratitude one of our spiritual practices and to weave it into our life can be very beneficial for us and for those with whom we relate and live. The studies in gratitude aren't being carried out by people of any distinct religious affiliation. They are really occurring more in the sociology and positive psychology areas. However, as intimated above, there is another deeper level to the issue. This is what's named grace. Our faith teaches us that God is the source of all good things. Remember Genesis 1.13 And God saw everything that he, she, had made, and behold, it was very good. James reaffirms this. Everything good comes from God. Every perfect gift is from her, him. These good gifts come down from the Father who made all the lights in the sky. James 1.17 St Paul adds his own perspective. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians one four. You might like the song All Is Gift by Kathy Sherman, CSJ. Since this is such a fundamental belief, it follows that the primary response of the believer is one of gratitude to God for the graces bestowed on us. It's why Eucharist is central to Christian life. It is an act of acknowledging grace and giving thanks. In her Magnificat, Mary extolled the goodness of God who has done great things for me. Grace and gratitude are marvellous themes, particularly so at Advent. So, as I reflect on my year, for what am I grateful? So very much. The diligent work of our association team, Frank Malloy, our tireless executive officer, Michael Everson, our retiring membership coordinator, and Tracy DeBlay, who brings us Christ Life, Morris Messenger, and Media Posts. Elizabeth Gallagher, our company secretary. Kath Corbett, our finance officer. Sally Dillon, our council meeting secretary. The contribution, collaboration, and leadership of our councillors. Julia Lederwash, deputy leader. Jasmine Brown, Maddie Ford, Donna McLaughlin, David Hall, Dan Lynch. Michael Green. The generous commitment of our local coordinators, 
who help to create community and animate association members. The mission and life formation team, who provide rich opportunities for us to develop our faith and deepen our appreciation of our Mara spirituality. Those on the front line of Mara's mission and ministry in Mara Schools Australia, Mara's 180, Australian Mara Solidarity, Mara's Youth Ministry. And you, the people who are the association, for your continued goodwill, commitment and faith. In the spirit of St Marcelin, I wish you abundant blessings for the rich and varied times ahead, Advent, Christmas, New Year and summer holidays. May grace and gratitude be yours. Brother Peter Carroll And now I quote the words from the song that Brother Peter mentioned, All is Gift. The colours of a sunrise, a morning surprise, the love you find in another's eyes, the hand that helps you up when you've fallen down, all is gift, my friend, all is gift from a loving God. The changing of the seasons, life is born anew, laughter and smiles and birds that sing, that hope that we cling to when the darkness comes, all is gift, my friend. All is gift from a loving God. Memories of a yesterday, tears that flow. Broken dreams, broken hearts we learn to grow. A God who will let us know we're not alone. We're not alone. All is gift, my friend. All is gift from a loving God. Hearts that unite, a friendship born. In sacred earth seeds are sown and we are fed. Hands unafraid to reach and souls that touch. All is gift, my friend. All is gift from a loving God. By Kathy Sherman, CSJ. Brother Bob O'Connor from the Morris Brothers community at Marcelin House Randwick in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and formerly from the retreat house at the Hermitage, Mittagong. A reflection for the December 2023 Christ life. In more recent years, much has been shared with us by two of our superiors general, Brother Sean Salmon and Brother Emily Turu. In their letters to the world's Marist brothers and Marists broadly, known as their circulars, and I refer most notably to Brother Sean's beautiful circular quote, a title, pardon, in her arms or in her heart, Mary, our good mother, Mary, our source of renewal, published in 2009. And I referred to the circular of Brother Emily Turu entitled, He gave us the name of Mary. In giving us Mary's name, Champagne wished us to live her spirit, published in 2012. In both these documents, they share their deep reflections and hopes for the future of our Marist way of life and for those who gather with us in our association, a veritable treasure trove of insights and reflections on whom Miriam of Nazareth is gifted to us all. And so I quote briefly first from Brother Sean's letter, In Her Arms or In Her Heart, and he writes, Today we need to imitate his reliance on the mother of Jesus and once again entrust our institute and its mission and members to her. Should 
we be willing to do so, she will show us the way forward. She did for Masler. What makes us think she would not do the same for us today? I have no doubt that she would. First of all, help us to see a number of items in a new light, not the least of which is our apostolic identity. Marcelin meant us to be apostolic religious in the way of Mary. What does that mean exactly? In the biblical text, the mother of Jesus questions, pursues her son, gives orders and travels. Actually, she travels a lot. Mary set out at once and in haste, we read in the gospel, to visit her cousin Elizabeth, makes the definitive pilgrimage to Jerusalem and at Pentecost is part of the believing community into which, into whom the Spirit of God breathes life and sends forth our mission. Were it not for Mary of Nazareth, however, Marcelin Champagne would not have been able to accomplish what he did. And I can conclude the reflection with a quote from Brother Emily's document. He gave us the name of Mary, and he writes, With Mary who set out in haste, we feel called to live our lives in service and to bring Jesus to others. In this service, the most vulnerable people have preference. With them and for them together, with many other persons of goodwill, we contribute to making the world a better, more habitable and fraternal place. Our perspective for looking at the world is that of Jesus, who, as he prepares to wash the feet, looks at it from below. We build community around Mary, Miriam of Nazareth, like the apostles at Pentecost. From her, our good mother, we learn to exercise tenderness and compassion. End of quote. Hello, this is Pat O'Reilly, Director of Mission Inclusion and Identity at Maris 180, and this is our December article. For Christ's life. That time of year is upon us and we are seeking your generous support to bring the Christmas spirit alive for the children and young people we support through Amaris Noel. Our hope is to capture the Christmas spirit for the children and young people in our residential care homes through the common practice of gift giving. Sadly for many of them Christmas is an unpleasant reminder that they are in someone else's care, displaced and disconnected from family to celebrate the festive season with. Christmas can be that time where feelings of sadness, loneliness and being the forgotten ones in our society become overwhelming. Last year we purchased gifts for 169 children and young people and have that number and more for 2023. We have a fundraising target of $50,000 to meet our needs, spread the generosity throughout this year. Maris 180 is enormously grateful to the Maris schools who have already contributed to and through fundraising, including Maris Sisters College Woolwich, Maris Catholic College Penshurst, Parramatta Maris High School, Marsland College Bulleen, and Marsland College Ramwick. And we know there are other Marist schools committed to this in the coming weeks. To you, we offer our heartfelt thanks. 
We likewise thank and acknowledge support in the form of small gifts, including stocking fillers that have been generously collected and donated, as well as students who will volunteer to assist in the gift wrapping from St Gregory's Junior School, Campbelltown and Marist College, Cogra. Through Amaris Noel, our children and young people have shared their dreams, aspirations and desired gifts for Christmas. To make their dreams come through, we need your contribution. And that you can find in the Donate tab on the Maris 180 website. This article is reproduced with permission from Sandpiper E-News from the Catholic Diocese of Sandhurst and the journalist is Katrina Strong. Katrina writes, Marist House builds strong foundation for regional students studying in Melbourne. Marist House in Fitzroy provides a safe, stable and supportive environment to tertiary students who are seeking an holistic and formative residential experience while they study in Melbourne. Hosted by a community of Marist Brothers, students are immersed in community, hospitality and ministry. For former Catholic College Catherine McCauley students Sam Kane and Harrison Jenner, their time at Marist House Fitzroy was an invaluable foundational experience. Bendigo music teacher Harrison Jenner lived at Marist House for three years while studying for a double degree in music and teaching at Australian Catholic University. He says his experience at Marist House was invaluable. Harrison knew he wanted to teach and the requirement to volunteer in community laid a strong foundation for his teaching career. What he hadn't expected was that he would grow so much as a person. Five years ago, I wouldn't have considered myself a Marist, and now I certainly do, he said. Harrison said the Marist program is not for everybody, but he certainly would recommend it to people who want to be part of a community, who are seeking purpose and want to explore intentional living. I would recommend Marist House for people who can benefit from the experience, who are willing to contribute to community and to live by Marist values, he said. Student residents at Marist House are expected to take turns cooking an evening meal, be in the house for a weekly community night, which consists of prayer and a shared meal, and volunteer in the outside community. Sam Kane was in the inaugural cohort of students at Marist House. He heard about the opening of Marist House in an incidental conversation with his former school principal, Darren McGregor. Staying at Marist House affords young people the ability to study away from home, explore Melbourne, volunteer and work a part-time job, all while knowing there is a safe, supportive environment to go home to at the end of the day, said Sam. Sam spent two years at Marist House before returning to Bendigo during the COVID-19 pandemic. He said all his cohort at Marist House were students from regional Victoria who had attended a Marist or Catholic school. Sam studied at Melbourne University, attending lectures with hundreds of other students, so he enjoyed the more family-like environment of Marist House to go home to. I think even at a residential college I would have felt overwhelmed, said Sam. For both Sam and Harrison, 
One of the most fulfilling aspects of living at Marist House was the required volunteer work. Harrison chose to volunteer with Marist Youth Ministry. I gave some music lessons and I was often in charge of the music side of things. If there was a function, taise prayer or a mass, I would organise the music, often inviting others to assist. It gave me a lot of confidence. Sam chose to volunteer at St Mary's House of Welcome, an open access centre which provides basic essential services to homeless people. I would go down there every fortnight and help with breakfast and sometimes I'd help with other things, said Sam. Brother Frank also helped out there, so I wasn't too daunted. I found it very eye-opening and rewarding, said Sam. Sam says his fellow student residents all discovered that they enjoyed their volunteer work. Others in the house volunteered at Orange Sky or Vinnie's. We could choose what we wanted to do and it was flexible with our study and other commitments and we were given time to settle into our new environment and university before we started volunteering. Volunteering isn't an onerous task. Actually, everyone I know really found it to be a good experience. We were all keen to contribute and give back said Sam. For Sam, living at Marist House, seeing the way the Marist brothers lived and worked, and volunteering helped him to learn about social justice, not-for-profit organisations, and their political and economic context more broadly. Harrison said young people should be open to residential programs such as Marist House and not be intimidated by the intentional aspect of the lifestyle or that it is hosted by a religious community. You need some sort of background in faith, but you don't have to be devout in any respect. You simply need to be willing to actively engage with others and have moral standing, he said. Treat it like a university sharehouse with very particular expectations of you and with Morris Brothers as mentors to help you get the most out of your university journey, suggested Harrison. Both Sam and Harrison enjoyed the company of the three Morris brothers who live in the house. Sam added that he bonded easily with the brothers. They are great conversationalists and are very funny, he said. Every student is expected to cook meals according to an allocated roster. Initially, we start cooking with someone and over time, as we get better at cooking, we were cooking by ourselves. My most popular dish was South Korean fried chicken. Everyone loved it, but there was always a big clean-up after that one, he joked. Both young men are now living and working in Bendigo. They believe their friendships formed at Marist House will last a lifetime. A great network of friendship has been forged over the five to six years since Marist House has been open to students, said Sam. Marist House is in three terrace houses in Nicholson Street, Fitzroy, close to major universities and tertiary education institutions. There is capacity for up to 10 students, male and female, to be accommodated, but usually the number of students is between 6 and 9. The brothers avoid operating at full capacity because they like to keep rooms for international guests who visit from time to time, explained Harrison. Sam marvels at the serendipity of that fleeting discussion he had with Darren McGregor, which led him on such a rich and rewarding path. I am so grateful we had that conversation, he laughs.
As I mentioned, the article is reproduced with permission from Katrina Strong, Sandpiper E-News, Catholic Diocese of Sandhurst. For more information, you can go to the Marist House website, just searching Marist House Fitzroy, uh, and download the Marist House brochure. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Everson, for those who don't know me, Coordinator of Membership for the Marist Association. Uh, my colleague Tracy, with whom I work on Christ Life, um, kindly suggested that perhaps it would be good if I did uh, meet a Marist, since I'm always dobbing other people in to do it. Um, and of course, as some will know, I'm retiring at the end of the year, so uh, she thought that that was uh, an appropriate time for me to do so. And I'm very happy to do so and to talk about my connection with being Marist, which has really been a lifelong uh, connection. So, first question, how did I first get involved with the Marists? Well, as I've indicated, it's been almost a lifelong connection. I actually first came in contact with the Marist brothers when I was 10 years old. And uh, back in those days, we boys, once we finished fourth class, got shifted off to the brothers. It was almost sort of set as an ominous threat. Wait till you get to the brothers. And we finished fifth and sixth grade, in my case, at Marist Brothers Mossman. And then went on to the high school at North Sydney. And I have to say that the men who taught us there, taught me there, were very, very impressive men. And uh, that led to my decision um, shortly after I finished school to actually joining the brothers. I was the brother for some years. And although that ultimately wasn't my vocation, I then kept teaching as a lay teacher in Mara schools. I maintained friendships over many years with brothers. And then, of course, have come back to work at Mascot again with the Marist family. So it has been, for almost my whole life, a very strong connection. And what does it mean for me to be Marist today? The phrase that comes to mind, I think, is strength in gentleness. If you look at the parts of the Gospel in which Mary appears, she has real strength of character, and that comes through things like the Magnificat. But there's also a, a gentleness. I guess perhaps we could be stereotypical and related to uh, her being female. But I think there's a, an element of masculinity and femininity that needs to be in every person who seeks to be whole and holistic. So for us guys, as well as for women, being in touch with that gentle feminine side, but strength within that as well, I think is key. And that in turn, um, I think has informed my spirituality um, hopefully a, a spirituality which is very much about being open and receptive to God in the way that Mary was. She also, of course, provides a wonderful uh, example, and we have it as one of our, our real pillars, of presence. And so trying to live out my Christian vocation, if you like, through being present to others is something that I've, I have striven to do. Who or what encouraged me to join the Marist Association? Well, I guess I'd have to say a lifelong friendship with, again, Mara's brothers, people like Peter Carroll. When it was being discussed that perhaps um, I might be able to contribute something here at, at Mascot uh, and working for the Marists, I met um, the wonderful Mr. Joe McCarthy, who many of you would know, who at that time was uh, the head of the pastoral team, which I then subsequently joined. So from Joe, I heard all about the association and that this Marist family had broadened out, um, still included the brothers, obviously, but included many lay people as well, men and women, young and old, who want to really embrace this wonderful charism. 
And so I was very happy to be part of that too and to, in that sense, make formal um, the Morris connections I already had. I've also had wonderful mentors in the association, people like Brother Graham Neist, again, who would be known to many of you, and many others I could name too, whose real sense of deep spirituality and commitment uh, and uh, embracing of, of, of issues of social justice, all those sorts of things um, that are and have become increasingly dear to my heart, and they've been great influences on me too. What gives you a sense of community and belonging as a member of the association? Well, I think I'd have to say the, the uh, contact I've had uh, in my role with various members, various local groups, local coordinators that provide great inspiration. But I also would mention the local groups that I've been a part of. Um, I guess I've had a foot in, in two camps, one being the City, Sydney City Marist uh, local group which is a fairly eclectic group with people who, uh, some, of which, some of whom are in Mara schools, but many of whom are no longer in Mara schools or that they're in other forms of ministry or other occupations altogether or are retired. But uh, they meet on a regular basis in Sydney and that is a wonderful group to be part of. Um, increasingly, there's been a connection too with the mascot local group, the, the local group based in the Sydney uh, Mara Centre here. And for the last uh, few years, couple of years, I've been the local coordinator of that group. And it's been my pleasure to invite not only members of the association who work here uh, and people who, who once worked here and are members, but also people in the entire office. And we've had several gatherings. We've had wonderful uh, guest speakers that have come in and spoken to us and with us and facilitated wonderful meetings. There's also been a strong social component. So I have that real sense of family and sense of belonging with my colleagues here at Mascot, those in the association, also those who are not. Uh, and that's a connection I hope to maintain uh, even after I leave this role. I'm also asked, as people are in these uh, situations, what do, do I like to do in my spare time? Well, I guess primarily for me, it's about uh, my wife, Joanne, uh, with whom I've been blessed to be married for uh, over 30 years now and also friends. We have a, a wide circle of friends. We're very fortunate and we love to spend time with those people. Uh, we love going out to dinner, going out to lunch, seeing movies and, and, and plays and things like that. And we love to travel. And that's something I certainly hope to embark on more so uh, when I have a bit more time from the end of the year onwards. What brings me joy? What am I passionate about? Well, I think the aforesaid social contact with friends and family uh, is key there, and I am passionate about that and maintaining those relationships. But I would also say in the broad sense, that whole area of spirituality um, is one that has strong appeal to me, and I think one in which we're all challenged to grow continually. So uh, I hope to uh, explore that a little bit further, and again, with more time on my hands, um, and look into things like retreats and just moments in life of contemplation, which I think is so important for a, a balanced and a happy life. So I would say that sense of spirituality is pretty central to who I am and certainly have a lot further to go down that path, but certainly want to keep going on that journey. Thank you very much, everyone. This is Brother Michael Flanagan recording the reflection for the December edition of Christ Life. 
No one can find Christ outside the world. Silent Night, 7 o'clock news. There's an inescapable sense of longing attached to Christmas. We long for it to come and we long for it to be a time of peace, presence and family harmony. We long to catch up with loved ones and long to see them happy and healthy. In the main, our Christmases are opportunities to unite, to bask in family, to enjoy children and to just waste time together. Often, though, our longing is left unfulfilled. Some of the family are seriously unwell. The relatives who wasted emotional and psychological energy on petty feuds and resentments are still wasting it, and none are happy. The imagined get-together replete with love and harmony again failed to materialise. On a mega scale, the story is much the same. Humanity longs for life, hungers for peace and strives constantly for sustainable mechanisms to build up and to share equally all of our resources. At the same time, humanity is racked by incessant war, a refusal by many to allow peace to break out and a slow diminishment in our overall quality of life. While the super-rich float around the Mediterranean on obscenely expensive luxury yachts, the super-poor struggle to paddle small canoes on the Mekong, harvesting ever-depleting fish stocks. This juxtaposition of the beautiful and the horrible was captured in part by the song Seven O'Clock News, Silent Night, by American music duo Simon and Garfunkel from their third album, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary and Time, 1966. The track intersperses the words of Silent Night with sound bites from the 7 o'clock news of the summer of 1966. It's worth listening to this song. There's also a later version as well by another artist. For those of us who heard it then, it was a powerful statement about the way we were. We can easily do the same with today's headlines. For instance, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Israeli officials say more than 1,400 people have been killed in Israel after Hamas terrorists attack on October 7. Sleep in heavenly peace. Queensland retiree is forced to sleep in car after rental price hikes. Glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing Alleluia. Palestinian authorities say the Gaza death toll has climbed to 14,000. 532, with 35,000 wounded and 7,000 missing. It is obvious that we live in parallel universes where good and evil, hope and struggle are two sides of a coin we call human life. 
Despite the truth of all this, there is hope. The Christmas story is one of peace and hope, despite the realities of the world as we know it. The extraordinary scripture scholar, Father Raymond E. Brown, believes the narratives in the Gospels of the birth of Jesus are the essential Gospel story in miniature. On a deep level, many of us sense that herein lies the Gospel's essence. And quote, that God has made himself present to us in the life of his Messiah who walked on this earth, so truly present that the birth of the Messiah was the birth of God's Son. Unquote. In a magnificent paragraph, Brown explains the momentous significance of the birth of Jesus. I quote it here barely edited because it can't be improved upon by an amateur like me, although I have emphasised certain sentences. And quote, The incarnation then means that the church, which is the body of Christ, is just as inextricably bound to this world as was its master. Once the word became flesh, a purely spiritual religion, or one with its vision too far-sightedly fixed on the next world, became impossible. No one can find Christ outside the world, nor can one find the real world outside Christ, because the incarnation has changed the nature of the world. And today, perhaps more than any time since the incarnation, the church must fight to prove the place of Christ in this world. The church must open the eyes of the world to see that it is the world of Christ. If the church is where Jesus reigns over the world, the church cannot turn its back on this world. And indeed, the only way the church can defend its place in the world is not by settling for an existence on the fringes of life, but by assuring Christ's place in all of life and in the whole world, unquote. A valuable reflection this Christmas would be to spend some quiet time thinking of the words, no one can find Christ outside the world, nor can one find the world outside Christ. Maris, who lived to make Christ known and loved, will find these words resonating within them. Despite the contradictions in the world around us, Christmas can be joyful, hopeful and peaceful. And each year we can resolve to live in such a way that next Christmas more of us will experience that joy, that hope and that peace. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from your holy face, with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at your birth, Jesus, Lord, at your birth. Hello, fellow Marists. 
I'm Liz Faulkner and I am a member of the Mission and Life Formation team. I've written a reflection that I hope you'll enjoy for our Christ Life magazine, the title of which is Marceline Champagne's Cat. I have just read David Mackey's The Dalai Lama's Cat, one of a series of novels narrated from the perspective of H.H.C., His Holiness's Cat. From the introduction to the novel, The Dalai Lama's Cat provides us with insights on how to find happiness and meaning in a busy materialistic world. Starving and pitiful, a mud-smeared kitten is rescued from the slums of New Delhi and transported to a life she could never have imagined. In a beautiful sanctuary overlooking the snow-capped Himalayas, she begins her new life as the Dalai Lama's cat. It sparked my imagination. What if we could hear from Marceline Champagne's cat? She too would be privy to the inner goings-on in the daily life of a saint. And while neither you nor I may ever quite master the art of landing on our feet after a fall or purring contentedly while we need a warm blanket, there are indeed valuable life and business lessons we could learn from this inscrutable creature. Marceline's miss would be content with the simple things in her life, entertaining herself with any arrant loose bead or dried leaf or the hilarious swipe of her paw at the flowing robes of a passing brother. How wonderful not to balk at exercise, but to emulate our miss and get our exercise through play. All that bouncing, stalking and jumping. I can imagine Marceline modelling balance of the work prayer kind to the brothers and his little miss would also give herself time curled under a chair or in the toolbox for some downtime. She would be the epitome of confidence and like most cats would not waste time in overthinking things. Though she would spend considerable time grooming herself, she would not judge others with a fancier coat. This would come from a sure knowledge that her exterior appearance was not indicative of her worth. Surely there is a lesson in this for those of us who have the very human propensity for judgment. Marceline's confident miss would not bat an eye while gracefully climbing up into the high places like the top of a door or a shelf in his kitchen from which to scan and assess the comings and goings. How wonderful if our vantage point, like hers, would allow us the opportunity to see the big picture. I think we should all jump on that shelf and take a broader view. Much safer, I would suggest, than getting between the feet of others and pressing our cold noses where they do not belong. From any vantage point, really, we can imagine all manner of human observation. From his holiness's cat's cosy spot on his llama's windowsill to our missus posse among the plants in Brother Francois's herb garden. 
love seems the driver. Both the monk's and brother's willingness to share the adventures and hardships of their lives was always evident in their camaraderie and love for each other. Ear rubs and warm milk after review of the day, rewarded with a soft, rich purr, is probably a ritual from which both you and I could gain great benefit. In Chapter 1 of The Dalai Lama's Cat, Michi writes, Often in the late afternoon, after I feel His Holiness has already spent way too many hours at his desk, I will hop off the wooden sill and pad over to where he is working, rubbing my furry body against his legs. If this doesn't get his attention, I sink my teeth politely but precisely into the tender flesh of his ankles. This always does it. As Marists, we too aim to be contemplatives in action. We know enough about Champagne to imagine that he was not backwards in coming forward, and I assume his cat didn't need assertiveness training. While you and I might not communicate with meows and purrs, it's important to speak up. Not just meowing for our dinner, but recognising the power of our voice as a tool for advocating for things we care about and those around us. Who knows, with a sprinkle of persuasion, we might just find ourselves with our whiskers held high, embracing success in our advocacy for those in need. Of course, we all know that it is the mystery often mistaken for elusiveness of cats, that make them so compelling. They don't feel the need to meow loudly about their accomplishments, other than the occasional lizard tail dropped at your feet. Like our Marist miss, we could be happy to carry ourselves with an air of contentment, as most cats do, knowing that we are loved and happy to share our love of others. I can't imagine Champagne's miss, or indeed His Holiness's cat, thinking anything was as important as being owned and treasured by anyone other than a cat lover. I can imagine, however, that both cat and llama, and cat and saint, were grateful for their loving relationship. You know how they say the the longer you have a pet, the more alike you become? Well, it's not about becoming a perfect copy of Champagne's cat. It's about embracing the essence of her wisdom. It's about doing what cats do best, and that's constantly living their best lives. As Marists, let's embrace our challenges like a cat playing with a ball of wool with enthusiasm and fearless audacity. Meow. I hope you've enjoyed Marceline Champagne's Cat. Hello, Maris friends. This is Adam Burns from Australian Maris Solidarity. This month, we'd like to share about our Christmas appeal and building for the future in Timor-Leste. 
Earlier this year, a cohort of Mara school staff joined Australia Mara Solidarity on the Encounter Timor trip to scope out locations for those schools' immersions to Timor-Leste. The group visited some of the recently completed school builds that AMS have helped fund. One place they did not get to was Kalugia, the small remote village that features in our 2023 Christmas campaign. AMS CEO Beck Bromhead writes, Indeed, when our Encounter Timor group, that is immersion coordinators from St Gregory's College Campbelltown, Galen Catholic College, Morris College Cogra, Sacred Heart College Adelaide and St Francis Xavier College Hamilton, tried to visit Kalugia this year with Brother Greg MacDonald, we were not only unable to access the community who were eagerly awaiting for us, but we were stranded for a number of hours from Bacau, luckily within reach of the parish at Lautem. When there is heavy rain in Kalugia, the school must close as it is structurally unsafe. This paints a picture of just how remote Kalugia is and how vital it is for the Kalugia Primary School to conduct much needed work on their facilities. The school has long been contemplating the need to either repair the existing structure or construct a new one as the current condition does not adequately support the learning process. Sanitation is very poor at the school. There are no toilets and clean water is hard to source. Maria is one of 162 students at Kalugia. She's proud to be the first in her generation to attend school, but she desperately needs a safe place to learn. I am sad about the condition of this damaged school, she says. If it rains and storms, we can't go to school. The parents at Kalugia also recognise the positive impact new facilities will have on their children's education. As one mother comments, Right now, our school condition is poor and damaged. If it's possible, we want to start rebuilding it as soon as possible. These words indicate the urgency for action and change to create a safer learning environment for Timorese children. Prior to the opening of the school, children travelled great distances to attend classes. The community opened the school to provide greater access for local children. Everesto Marara is a school founder and community leader at Kalugia. He's proud that the school can serve its 162 students aged 6 to 11. He's, quickly pr he's equally proud that the school is staffed by eight teachers. But he also recognises the limitations of the current facilities. He says, This Kalugia Catholic school is not in good condition. If it rains, it is difficult to teach and learn, with children just sit on the floor. If they go to the toilet, they have to go to the river. Our contact in Timor-Leste, Madre Herminia, is a driving force behind many of our school rebuilds AMS has supported in Timor-Leste. She comments, with an improved school environment, we anticipate an increase in student enrolment, which in turn will lead to more students advancing to secondary schools like Santa Teresina, Kelikai Middle School, or other similar institutions. These are just some of the stories we've been able to capture from Kalugia. We invite our Australian Maris family to help us create many more stories of hope for the young people of Kalugia. During this season of hope, you can build a safer school in Timor-Leste by donating to our 2023 Christmas appeal. Please, if you can, donate today. Thank you to all Maris who've contributed to the work of solidarity in the Asia-Pacific region this year. We wish you and all your loved ones a safe and blessed Christmas.
Christ Life Report by Mark O'Farrell. I had the great privilege recently in my capacity as a member of the Marist Secretariat of the Laity to visit the Marist family in Auckland, New Zealand and Santiago, Chile for meetings and visits to various ministries. The trip was rich and full of experiences that opened my eyes further to the rich diversity and expression of Mara's life and mission across our big planet. In New Zealand, I lived with the brothers in the Onihunga community, breaking bread and sharing many stories of life. I also visited the Mara's Learning Centre and met director James Cullen, who explained the unique character of the school for young people on the margins of education in the tradition of John Byrne. I visited much larger Marist schools, Sacred Heart College, Marcelin College, and St Paul's College, sitting with the principal, Keith Cemento, as we planned the Amy Jill Levine visit to Auckland in May 2024, and talked about legendary All Blacks who once attended the school. I had the pleasure to meet Jan Pender, the chair of the Champagne Trust for Marist Schools, and Dan Dungey, the Lay Marist Coordinator, to talk about the International Lay Marist Vocation Forum as it progresses, and how the work of the forum will contribute to Lay Marist life in Oceania. Santiago was rich and vibrant like NZ, but with a South American and Polynesian flavour. We stayed in a nun's retreat house on the outskirts of Santiago, with the huge Los Andes Mountains as our backdrop, as the Secretariat worked long days, the love of work piece, and planned for a big 2024 and the Lay Forum in July. One of our visits was to a local Marist community called La Mesa, or The Table, which was a small group of Lay Marists who gather around a table once a month for a meal, a coffee, sometimes a chat, often with prayer and many conversations about sharing their lives. So simple and very similar to our expression of Morris life in our regions with our local groups across Australia in the association. We also had the chance to farewell Raoul, who will be known to some Australian Marists as he concludes his six years as director of the Secretariat of the Lady. He has enough frequent fly points to join the chairperson's lounge for life. And we welcomed lovely Anna from Costa Rica, who was joining the team with Manu and myself as directors from 2024. My abiding memory from the short trip was, how rich is this Morris life? And how lucky am I to be a part of it? With simple experiences like living in community with or visiting the brothers in Chile and witnessing firsthand to young men now old, who believed once and followed Champagne's vision to go out to the young and show them, through their hard work and dedication, the face of Jesus and Mary, and to share this love and passion, like St Marcelin did once in his time in France many years ago. As 2023 closes out, let's continue working together as a local and global Marist family, praying for peace and love to reign in our world.
God bless for Christmas and the new year to you and your families. This is Brother Michael Flanagan, Province Archivist, reading the Archives article for Christ's Life, December 2023. 150 years of Mara's presence in New Caledonia, an Australian brother played an important role. From our Star of the Sea website, we read, There is a very long connection with Maris in New Caledonia, going back to the arrival of the first Maris in 1837 in the Pacific. France annexed New Caledonia in 1853, and the brothers were very active in development of schools and orphanages and in catechetics from that time. By 1873, New Caledonia was in fact a part of the province of the British Isles, which included England, Ireland, Scotland, Cape of Good Hope, Australia, New Zealand and Oceania. So many French-speaking brothers worked in New Caledonia over the last 170 years, supported by the French provinces and of late by the province of the Hermitage. New Caledonia is now part of the province of Australia, and from 2023, the Star of the Sea province. Currently, there are two French-speaking brothers residing at Paita, not far from Numia, the capital. On May 1st, 1873, Brother Louis-Marie, the Superior General, named four brothers for the mission in Numia. The first Mara school was opened on the 15th of October 1873 with 31 students. The conditions were deplorable. Even a stove was commandeered as a desk, with one observer stating the scene lacked everything except spirit and heat. However, this spirit was obviously irresistible and a force for good. By the end of October that same year, there were 100 pupils. On the 1st of January 1983, there were 22 brothers in New Caledonia, spread across five communities. After 114 years of service, the brothers' work on the Isle of Pines closed in 1993. It is here that an Australian brother made a very significant contribution. Patrick Gaffney, 24 August 1871, 23 February 1944. Patrick came out to Eng- from England to Australia in 1844 and with him was his brother Francis, who was to become the famous Brother Henry of St Joseph's Hunters Hill. Brother Columbus spent most of his life working obscurely in the missions of Fiji and New Caledonia where he laboured in black satan and the heat for some 45 years. Patrick entered the junior aid at St Mary's and eventually received the habit and the name of Brother Columba at Hunters Hill Novitiate. He first taught at St Mary's and then became division prefect at St Joseph's in 1894. Having volunteered for the islands, he arrived in Fiji in 1897 and was headmaster of the new Indian school. 
His assistant was Brother Cloman, and on the first day, the attendance was five pupils. When Rewa, 10 miles east of Suva, opened at the end of 1899, Columba was appointed subdirector, and after just over a year there, he returned to the Indian school in Suva. In 1902, he seems to have gone back to Rewa. From there, he returned to Australia, stationed at Sacred Heart, Port Adelaide, where one of his pupils was the future Bishop Fox. But the missions called again, and from 1909 to 1942, we find him in New Caledonia, mostly in the Isle of Pines. For some 36 years, he taught the boys' school and directed them in cultivating their food plantations. He returned to Australia for his last two years and worked with the boys at St Vincent's Westmead. In 1944, at the age of 72, he successfully underwent a serious operation at St Vincent's Hospital and was preparing to return to Westmead when he collapsed and died. A solemn requiem mass at St Joseph's was followed by his burial in the field of Mars Cemetery. He hasn't much talent, wrote Brother John Delia, but he is very tactful. He is regular, pious and has a good spirit. In other words, even Brother John thought he was an excellent Mars brother. One wonders what the phrase not much talent referred to. He had enough talent to give his one life to the Lord's service, to spend that life in difficult missionary work, to be a headmaster and to spend his final years on active service with the boys at Westmead. The 36 years on the Isle of Pines were not spent in a luxury resort or swanning around the Pacific on yachts. He lived these years immersed in the daily lives of the Indigenous people and educating their children in basic classrooms and vegetable gardens, in his black satan, in oppressive heat. The two Gaffney brothers who arrived in Australia in 1884 lived very different lives as Morris brothers. One was to stay mainly in one place and achieve international and national recognition as a remarkable rugby coach. The other lived in relative obscurity, in many places, both in Australia and in the Pacific. One was not more significant than the other. Both are fine examples of commitment and dedication to the education of the young. Both are exemplary Marists. Well, I hope you enjoyed this final podcast for 2023. Blessings to you all, your communities, your families, for a very happy, holy and peaceful Christmas. Enjoy your summer holidays and best wishes for joy, abundance and fulfilment in the coming year. We'll be back next February for the first edition of Christ Life for 2024. We close this edition with a prayer for peace in this world, for harmony for acceptance, for sharing, and for enough for all. St Marcelin Champagne, pray for us. And may we always remember to pray for one another. Bye for now.